guess we might as well. Yeah. So, uh, I guess we have, we should close the door for I guess we have one more session. We'll be back at NYU and we're going to, Michael Strevens will then talk. I, I should put it, I will, by the end of this week, um, there's a paper of his that I'll, I'll, I'll get posted to the, to the normal place. Uh, and so today we've got Shelley Goldstein, who's going to tell us about something. About something. <laughs> okay. So I guess that well, I'm going to need that for. I guess that one's is that one is oh. convenient. But that one, that one is okay. Is that one too? You can have as many as you want. Yeah. <laughs> so let me see. Let me begin with it some possible titles, so at least you'll have some idea vaguely what I'm talking about. I hope this has some connection with the course. I suspect it might not have a lot of overlap. Let's see. So, one title is Some Remarks on Probability Relevant to cosmology. That's a nice title. Or another possibility would be probability on the universal level. among other things, time, and the distinction between external time and internal time. Internal, external time would mean something like time as counted by a clock out in, out in heaven, an internal time would be time is registered by things in the in, in our universe, depending on the configurations of matter and stuff like that. Um, maybe I should, I'm just going to write another word. Most of you won't know exactly what I mean by this, but I'm putting it down because it, it's, it's the kind of systems I'll be talking about are dissipative. Systems. So if I never tell you what I mean, what's meant by dissipative systems, you should remind me that I forgot, and I'll tell you where it came in. Can, can I ask a question before you go on? Yeah. About external versus internal time, because I didn't understand the clock out in heaven. But maybe you should wait till later. Okay. I'm really going to talk. I'll talk about. I, I just good. Okay. I just wanted to say enough so you have some vague idea. Okay. What I meant and by the way, I should say, what I'm going to be talking about here is to a large extent work very much in its infancy. So, at least the second part, after the background. Um, as motivation for what I'm going to be talking about, I'll also say a few words about, let's say, approach to equilibrium 
I mean, thermal equilibrium, I guess. But let me say, approach to thermal, I should say, equilibrium in quantum mechanics. I take it you haven't done a lot about. That's an exaggeration. <laughs> <laughs> about equilibrium and quantum mechanics. And in fact, it's an it's a, it's a interesting subject about which I will say very little. Uh, let me just remark that it turns out not that, as you might expect, conceptually things are far less clear when it comes to these questions of quantum mechanics. As you might not expect, it's far, far easier to prove all kinds of nice things about approach to equilibrium and quantum mechanics. I don't say nothing about that. Okay, so good. That's, um, now let me begin with motivation for what I really want to say. At least the motivation means why I started worrying about what I'll be talking about. So again, I have to, I have to say some words about quantum mechanics. Okay, so I, I'm not supposed to assume you know any quantum mechanics, right? Correct. So here's, here's some quantum mechanics in a real nutshell. There's a state, in quantum mechanics, there's something called a state vector for a system, so usually written psi, the wave function. One thing about it is it's rather abstract. Not so clear what it describes. Um, in the simplest case, at least it's, in the simplest case, it's, it's, it's reasonably clear what it is mathematically in any case. It's a function, complex value function of the configuration of, a, let's say, in the simplest case of a system of particles. So Q here, configuration. Um, here are some examples of what I would mean by configuration. Well, like you must have heard in connection with classical mechanics, part of the phase point is the positions of the particle, the configuration part. So that's one possibility. Q is Q1 through Qn, the positions of the n particles in n particle system. That's one possibility. Or in quantum gravity, Q could be G, three metric, describing the structure of three-dimensional space. Don't worry about exactly what that means. It's not going to be important. It describes geometry. Or Q could be both the geometry and the configuration apart. Those are three examples. So. In most cases, you should just think about positions of particles, something you're familiar with. But um, there will be some cases where it would be good to have geometry in mind as well. Now, psi, there's an evolution for psi, which I'm not going to write down. Time evolution. Schrodinger's evolution. Schrodinger's equation. So it evolves. There's psi t. It depends on time. Now, this thing is abstract, and as such, it's not clear how it connects to anything that you might say is of interest 
to physics, that is, of anything that a physicist would want to explain, like patterns of behavior of things around us that we see in the real world. And orthodox quantum theory, that is supplied, that, that connection is supplied by using the wave function somehow to extract, to define probabilities for results of measurements. And I'm putting measurements in quotes because I just can't avoid it. They're not really measurements, but they're certain experiments. So you have certain experiments you do, and quantum mechanics give you rules for the probabilistic connections between experiments you do at one time and experiments at another time, and these rules are expressed in terms of something called the wave function. And it takes a few courses on quantum mechanics to be clear about all those rules. And even then, by the way, it's not clear what the rules say. That's another story. And, um, there's something, but even if we're reasonably, well, no, let me not say that. The quantum mechanics people here, that is Tim, David, and me, find this thing really extremely unsatisfying, unsatisfactory, implausible. It can't be, we would say, that in a fundamental physical theory, you've got axioms, fundamental axioms about the behavior of measurement devices. You can have, the action should be about the behavior, about the behavior of fundamental constituents of the world, the things which the measurement devices are made of, the particles they're made of, not about the, what happens in measurements. There shouldn't be axioms about that. And some of us prefer only in mechanics. And I was thinking about only mechanics that led me to these worries here that, I, that I'll mention. The worries connected to these remarks. In Bowman mechanics, the role of psi, David doesn't like when I say that, but... When you say what? Role. Oh, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> but that's another long story. Whatever, that's totally irrelevant for this discussion. Right, right. In Bowman mechanics, I have a very different role than the result the probabilities for results of measurement. It really it, it governs, it, it somehow plays, it's part of the equations of motion from particles. It, wave function gives you a velocity vector field of configuration space, which is the right-hand side of the equation of motion for the configuration, something which I'll write in the form, dqdt, uh, rate of change of the configuration is this function of the configuration. So this biology will depend on t this evolved. And so you get a theory in which you have a world with particles moving according to certain rules, and when you analyze this theory, you find out these probabilities for results of measurements come out, all the textbook formulas come out, and you understand how the quantum predictions emerge from a simple, actually a fairly simple motion of particles. Okay, that's Bowman that's mechanics in a nutshell. I'll be using this notation, this is the configuration cube, 
Schmidt configuration space, which I'll write as script Q. Alright. So as I said, a consequence of Fulmian mechanics is orthodox quantum theory. And a crucial ingredient in understanding how orthodox quantum theory could be a consequence is the notion of quantum equilibrium. To be distinguished from thermal equilibrium. And so, what is quantum equilibrium? So that the thermal equilibrium in some vague sense corresponds to a certain probability distribution. You may know what that means by that. I don't know. And then you can argue, but that's we'd be taking it in a naive sense. Probability distribution. I don't think that's the only thing that's true in this, strictly speaking, but for the purpose of this talk, let's think that thermal equilibrium corresponds to a certain probability distribution and quantum equilibrium corresponds to the probability distribution. The probability of configuration Q is given by this wave function, which is a function of Q squared. That's the quantum equilibrium probability distribution. So let me call that thing rho psi. It's a probability distribution which depends on the psi. It's a function of the psi. And it has this nice feature that it um, is in harmony with the dynamics of the wave function. That means the following. You have this wave function, means it's what I want to. And then you have the probability distribution psi associated with that wave function. Now the wave function evolves according to the Schrodinger evolution to psi t. The time t. Well, all of the t units of time, we get psi t. If you evolve this probability distribution according to the Bohm equation of motion, the way the particles are moving in Bohmian mechanics, probabilities evolve in a natural way, in the right way, and you get a probability distribution at time t, the one that flows from this probability distribution of psi, whatever it is. And that one happens to be the same thing as you get if you took the probability distribution associated with the later wave function. That, that diagram is commutative, that these two things, these two ways of arriving at the probability of time t are the same, is called equivariance. And it's true of psi squared. Rope psi equals psi squared is equivariant. And one reason I mentioned that is because it plays, again, a crucial role in understanding how the quantum probabilities and um, the whole quantum formalism, quantum rules, orthodox quantum theory emerge from Bohmian mechanics. And it does that to a certain extent because it's roughly speaking analogous to stationarity of a probability distribution, which you must have talked about. Did you talk about it in the course at the we glanced off. Um, yeah, we yeah. <laughs> I mean the the, the the measure on phase, probability measure on phase space, the volume measure on phase space. It's important that that volume measure on phase space in statistical mechanics be stationary. 
doesn't change when, when, you, when you time your balls and face points, let the probabilities carry the probabilities along with the face with the points as they move along, the probability distribution doesn't change. That is the, what we did mention, I think, a couple of times in this immediate neighborhood is that it's a consequence of Louisville's theorem. That, that you take a um, um, you take a certain region of the phase space, evolve all of the points in that region forward using the using the Hamiltonian dynamics. The volume, the evolved volume, the the, the size of the evolved volume on the standard measure is equal to the size of the original volume, and that corresponds exactly to saying that if you look at if you tiny ball the measure itself, the measure at time original time, you get a measure at time t, it's exactly the same as the original stationarity of the measure. Okay. By measure, I mean small. Well, can I ask a, I'm, I'm, <laughs> the, the, the way you put this may be just nothing. The, the, um, so there's a distinct there's a distinct thing called evolving the measure? Yes, there is. Oh, so tell me, how does that work? Okay. Because I'm used to evolving points in phase space or something like that. Suppose, let's do it in the case of discrete time. So you can uh -huh. have that space is Q. Uh -huh. We have a function of Q to itself. Suppose we have a measure on Q. Oh, I see. Right. Okay. Then there's a canonical, there's just the right definition of right. the right. Sure. Right, sure. It sounds exactly that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And good. it's actually very important to think of it in those two ways. Good, 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 good. So what, what, what's being said here is if you have then a, a measure on Q, then it's, and so you have a function taking points in Q, so here's, here's, here's Q, here's a point. The function takes you to a new, new point. From Q to F of Q. Then F also acts in a natural way I measure. Yes. And I won't write down the formula if you think but, about it. But the, the way it acts is via evolving the, the measured point. The way it acts is via, well, let me only say. So what's the, what's the new measure at right. the later at time one? Let's right. say this is a time right. one. What's the measure of this set at the time one? For the time, what's the time one measure of this set? Right. Well, you have to, where did it come from? Where could these points have come from? Right. It's going to be the original measure, you know, of the right. original point. Right. Which makes sense. Right. That's the canonical meaning. Good. 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 And when I say measure, by the way, I mean more or less probability. Usually I mean that, but actually I mean something more general. A measurement doesn't have to be normalized to one. So that the measure of the whole space need not be one. Aside from that, it's the same as probability. That's actual distinction. That distinction, however, will be important. All right. So let's see now. Now, the things I've described are in some paper, which I call the quantum equilibrium, I did with Detlef Durer and Zangit, which I call the quantum equilibrium paper, if I refer to it. So it's a Pewey paper, quantum equilibrium paper. And in that paper, here are some things that were said connect concerning thermodynamic equilibrium. Not quantum equilibrium, thermodynamic equilibrium. We said there that thermodynamic equilibrium is somehow to be found in the wave function. You don't have to look at the configuration so much. Really determined by the wave function. You should psi not q. 
that's something that we at least argue there. And the reason for that, the what we're thinking of, well, Q is already in equilibrium. We live in a basic, uh, the reason you, you get the quantum predictions out is because, so to speak, we live in a quantum equilibrium universe. That's not going to go into any details. So if we're already in, so that, that means the configuration is already in equilibrium relative to the wave function. So the only thing that could fail to be in equilibrium in the sense of the phase point in, 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 in the classical case is not an equilibrium phase point. It's the wave function, which is playing, would be playing the role of that phase point, which fails to be an equilibrium wave function, a thermodynamic equilibrium wave function, or somehow a typical wave function, whatever that would mean, but a non-equilibrium wave function. And the reason we have then, we took the point of view in that paper, arguing that wasn't really central to the paper. We took the point of view that the reason we see we have approach to equilibrium in our universe is because the wave function is, in fact, approaching, becoming more and more equilibrium-like. It's approaching the set of equilibrium wave functions, whatever that set would be. And um, the Boltzmann entropy, the entropy, and the only entropy does talk about is Boltzmann, right? Yep. So I just write entropy. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> S. Why is it called S, by the way? Did you? I have no idea. The Boltzmann. That alone exists. So the entropy should be a function of the state. Wait, it wasn't called H for Boltzmann? There was the H yeah. function. Yeah. But then there was S later on. Also, also Boltzmann. I mean, I'm not even sure about that. It's now S for sure. Yeah. You yeah but Boltzmann X. proved something that he called the H theorem. That's true. No, that was before. Right. That was before he knew that H gave S. Right. I see. But I don't really know if he ever used But when they changed S. H, they changed H to E, but it's the negative, right? I mean, the, right, the, the, negative, the, right. the, the H went right. the opposite direction. Who said S? That's a know. very important question. <laughs> <laughs> I think S is on his, on his Tombstone, though, right? Maybe it's a flight set. I don't know. Flight set. I don't know. It's not the W, but we could have got the W, because that's our, our shinish type. Anyways, S is a standard letter now for entropy. And it depends on the state of the universe. At a given time, given by the wave function and configuration. And so, uh, apropos what I said here about approach to equilibrium, not being in equilibrium corresponding to having a non-equilibrium wave function, because the configuration is the equilibrium machine could be, that this S, in fact, should depend only on the wave function. And S is increasing according to the second law of thermodynamics, but the wave function is evolving in such a way that that happens. Okay. That was what we said in that paper. Good. Yeah. So I may write that maybe. So S, S, independence, S, T, equals S of psi T. Changes because the wave function has changed. And again, Q is in quantum equilibrium configuration. Alright. We're almost there to um, the problem, the issue. So there. We're here. We're here. <laughs> now, there's another big question when it comes to quantum mechanics. Well, I don't know if I've asked the question yet. One big question when it comes to quantum mechanics is uh, what the hell is this thing psi? 
what kind of a crazy thing is that? And of course, I think we would all agree one important way to get to begin to get a handle on is at least to incorporate scientists of clear theory and things are happening in a definite way. But even after you've done that, you still can wonder about what kind of thing this science. And with Detlef and Nino, I've also proposed, we've also proposed that the way you should think of Psi as, is as somehow a way of succinctly capturing the law of motion. After all, the role it plays through beep side, that's the right-hand side of an equation of motion. Now, there are all kinds of problems if you think about Psi, the wave function of a system, this table, or David, or a hydrogen atom, as its wave function as being anything like a law. But at the end of the day, the real proposal is that when you go to the universal level and consider the universal wave function, which I'll call out capital psi, the wave function of the universe, that has the potential for being law-like. And the difficulties you, had, you would have with thinking about the wave function of a small system, not the whole universe as being somehow corresponding to a law, tend to evaporate when you think about the universal level. And one reason for that is because in quantum cosmology, it is often the case, in, very, in some versions of quantum cosmology, it happens that the wave function of the universe, which I, let's think of it as depending somehow on some time, doesn't depend on time in any way, any sort of time. Just some side of you, some function of the configuration of the universe, possibly including the geometry, not changing at any time. Is that the linear kind of combination, or sum of all of the individual particle wave functions? The wave functions. Well, well, actually, actually, the interesting thing is, it's you just take the big system, the biggest. Just think the universe. You take the, the the only closest, only still definitely closed system that we have, the universe as a whole. Just the wave function for that system. The tricky thing is what you mean by the wave function. But, but I mean, I think the answer to the question you were asking, I think, is no. That is, the, the meaning of non-separability is precisely that you can't always obtain the wave function of a, of a composite system out of, out of any kind of mathematical operation on wave functions you might assign to the individual. Exactly right. right. Unless you had, well, well, people worry about these things, right? No, but, but as I was saying, it's kind of what's tricky is to go from the big wave function to the little one. You can't go at all from right. the little ones to big ones right. in any kind of reasonable way. Right, right. At all. Which is what I think he would Absolutely ask. Absolutely right. right. So you should just think about this one. It's just the, what I'm, the same kind of wave function I was talking about before for a really big system, the universe. All right. Independent time. So, I, now you see there's a problem with this, these things about entropy and approach to equilibrium being um, supervenient on psi, on the wave function of law. And because after a while, so we have problems, but...
how men can approach to equilibrium be understood in terms Side the wave function, it's not changing, so it's not approaching anything. That seems, that, that seems pretty hopeless, problematic to say the least. One question: Shall it change with time? And there's another problem, which is somewhat different, but it's a fact about these, the wave function of the universe, the cosmology at least, that if you take this probability distribution, which I'm going to write as side q squared. And if you compute the total probability by integrating overall configurations, you get the total probability. So this assigns total probability, total measure, I should say, because it's not one, it's infinite. This is not a normalizable measure. You have a wave function in the universe, however, to the extent you can define probability, anything like a measure at all, it's definitely not going to be normalizable. Overall probability of the whole, of overall weight of the whole universe, of all possible, set of all possible configurations. The probability of the weight of the configuration space is infinite. The measure of the configuration space. I think I'm going to use the letter mu for measure, just mu for measure. Now, you might say that, I think you should be inclined to say that's problematical. It should worry you. Shall we? Yeah. What, what do we? What's the take a take a simple system consisting of a finite number of particles it, you, where that thing is normalizable? Yeah. This, this the, the the infinity has to do with the number of degrees of freedom, or oh. it has to do with the fact that in here is the gravity as well. Right. 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 It'd so be the same in in say uh, in say you know. A configuration space of Maxwellian electrodynamics? Probably. Okay. So let's just say it is the case. I right. mean, right. Because it often, it usually is the case right. for whatever reason. Right. Okay. And it actually is going to play an important role. Right. I'm presenting it as a problem because it should strike you as problematic <laughs> and bad. Alright. So now let's see. Some, here are some possible approaches you might imagine to a resolution. You might say, well, it's just wrong, it's just wrong before when I said um, that the configuration is in equilibrium. Maybe, in fact, in our universe, we, we have a universe in quantum non-equilibrium, not in equilibrium. Then all bets are off and the situation will be different. I'm not going to... I, I, that would be a difficult approach to proceed on. I don't know that, that it's wrong, but I'm not, following, I'm not going to follow that route. Another, another thing you might say, that you might think would help at least a little bit here, maybe with this part of the problem, infinity, you might say, well, no, really what I mean by probability here, what I'm using this thing for is not really probability per se, but typicality, digest that, and maybe things are a lot better. And that, I think, is not an unreasonable thing to say either, but I don't want to proceed along that route either. What I have to say is in a different direction. Uh, in particular, I want to pretend that naive thoughts about probability are okay. 
And I, I still have a feeling that the naive thoughts about probability, the distinction between that, that sort of subtle understanding of probability in terms of typicality or anything else, or human and new, these things, I'm going to take the point of view, these things are irrelevant. So just your naive understanding of probability issues is fine here, everybody has one. This is problematical from that point of view. Good. And I, I think that the problem, particularly on the cosmological level, but really on any any level here as well, no, definitely on the cosmological level, and certainly in a, in, within a relativistic framework, what you need is a more careful consideration of time and probability in cosmology. And I have to explain, that's what I'm going to talk about. So, Okay, good. So now, make a remark. Let's consider a history of the universe. Configuration, changing with time. And so we have some if you want to think about, I think, I'm thinking more general terms than just this quantum mechanical Bohmian picture before. So, but if you if you if you're thinking back, to, if you're there, keeping in mind the, the the origin of this discussion in quantum mechanics, and you think we have some fixed wave function of the universe. In any case, what I want to focus on is the history of the configuration QT. That is for all time, and let's assume that means from minus infinity to infinity. And so we get, I can try to graph a configuration. We get some, some sort of history. There's a possible history. I'm drawing, of course, on configurations if it were one-dimensional variable, just so you have something concrete to focus on. There's a history. Now let's consider a different history. Q prime. And Q prime is just the time shift of Q. Also between minus infinity and infinity. So Q prime is just the same shape, but shifted over, moved over to Q. Get to A. Shifted by A units of time. Okay. These obviously, these histories of the universe have a lot in common. I think everybody would agree with that. Um, and I'm going to take the point of view here that they're physically equivalent um, That's something I think that most physicists would say. These are physically equivalent histories of the universe. And I, I would say that they're physically equivalent, even if they're not ontically equivalent or objectively equivalent. Even if you have absolute time. So that in fact, these are genuinely different histories. Because what's happening at time t is different than what's happening at time t, and you have absolute time. Absolute, by absolute time, you're in absolute external time. 
Even if you have absolute time, that external time, we don't, I'm taking the point of view that we don't have access to that except through events in the universe itself. And therefore, there's no way we in such a universe could distinguish these two things. And so, uh, so as far as physics is concerned, these are equivalent, even if you might say they're not absolutely equivalent, they are absolutely physically equivalent. That's the point you're going to take. What, uh, so what you mean by physically equivalent is, is epistemically equivalent? Or? But it's something a little bit stronger, because uh-huh. it's largely connected to that. You'll, but you understand the same. It's, it, 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 it's certainly the case that whatever this history explained, this would have explained just as well. To the extent there's anything you want to explain. Yeah. So, is what you mean by physically equivalent is that like any, the results of any either measurements or experiments would be identical in these? Because there's no other way within the experiments to sort of, sort of identify time? I certainly mean that. But I probably mean even more than that, because you can imagine, that, I would call that empirical equivalence, so you can imagine even situations where the, even apart, even, even, well, but the reason, I mean, I'm saying that is because you sort of indicated that the only way physics has access is you know, within the physical world. So that suggests that some notion of empirical equivalence. There is. I don't know what other equivalence there would be if we don't have access to external time, is what I'm saying, I guess. I mean, what I've been, I just wanted to say that the notion is a little bit stronger than empirical equivalence because you could have things, empirical equivalent situations where what's going on is clearly different. The particles, even, even forget about time translation, they're just, the shape is different in the two cases. Right, right. But that could still be compatible with our inability to, to detect that. Right. Here the equivalence are a little bit stronger. But let's, and in any case, it's, it's certainly not controversial that physicists would say these are, they would say more than physically, they would say it isn't meaningful to regard these as different at all. I'm saying, and it certainly wouldn't be meaningful, seriously meaningful to regard these as different if you don't believe in an external time. Because right. then the way you, way, when you call this time zero or time A is right. just a matter of convention. There's right. no real difference in, in reality there. But even if there were, even if you allowed for that difference, you would still have this physical. So this should not be too controversial an issue point. Good. So that's internal time versus external time. And the physical thing, and really what it, internal time. We don't have access to the external time. And insofar as some sort of internal time is concerned, there's no difference in these two things. Now, I have to say a little bit more about internal time. I'm going to say a lot more. I should say that the T which seems to be inaccessible, I mean, certainly not directly accessible. If it's accessible at all, it's only accessible through what's in the universe. So, can I, yeah. the, um, <coughs> this may be off the track of what you want to say, in which case, just ignore it. But if you, if you, but it, it does sort of brush up, that is, it seems like similar arguments, um, 
um, would would lead you to classify as physically as physically equivalent in the way you're describing not only displacements but say inversions. Um, or something. I think that's all true. Let's not go there. But but then, then it will be controversial in this room. That's fine. Right. And lots of other things with me. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just thought I mean, the simplest thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, good. Because there's a lot more, as I said, there's, there's a lot more. So that's not where you want to go. No, no, I don't want to go there. Right. Can, can I ask something? Because yeah. you, you keep, I thought I understood the point, and, and, and maybe I do, but I just wanted to be clear, because you keep coming back to epistemic access. Even in your sense, imagine in this history, you have this history, and then you have another history that as a world looks like this, where, as where everything was frozen for a while, right? I mean, you can imagine. Um, everything was slowing down. I'm going to come to that later, Tim. And, okay, but you can see that in empirically you couldn't tell, but I, I, in your sense, it would be physically different. I'm going to come to that later. Now, okay. I, I just wanted to start slow. Oh, absolutely right. right. Okay. <laughs> That's absolutely right. Okay, okay, okay. okay. That's right. I, I just did the simplest <laughs> Now, let me, let me, the words are sometimes important. So, if, when we say these things are equivalent, then what we're saying is all we're interested in is the shapes. This shape is the same as that shape. No, it's the same shape. It's a square of a square no matter where you move it. Good. Good. Sorry, can I? Yes. I, I, at the risk of slowing you down. Um, just to make, try to understand the distinction between internal and external time. If, 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 if somebody had access to, to a being that had access to external time, through the physical, how, how does the difference between these two situations manifest itself? Are the physical laws such, to, to the being that has access to external time, are the physical laws such that the two can be distinguished, or is there something else that distinguishes the two situations? That's something else, I guess, we distinguish it. That would be a being whose behavior, whose abilities are not, would not follow from the physics, I would think. So, so it's outside of our physical laws somehow. It was, I would think so. Okay. So it's not a straight yeah. transplant. I think so. And then, that's why I said, but I'm assuming you don't have, there is no, there's nothing no. there. Right, so you imagine an absolute time value, but it, it, it's never mentioned in any of the laws of physics. Mm -hmm. right? mm -hmm. So it follows that as far as physics goes, you can't have a creature that, as it were, at a certain moment of absolute time, suddenly says, it's now, right? right? Because if you shift everything over in time, the physics will be the same, and you'll have a solution where the same creature raises their finger at a different time. Let me see, there's another issue, actually, which is raised. It, by these points. Um, oh, it's just what Tim was saying. <laughs> Here, I'm it. Another issue is that universal <coughs> speed up or slow down, varying with Q. So in Tim's picture, once you go after this thing, you, there's time. You slow down a lot, nothing changes at all. And universal speed up and slow down, varying with Q should not be physical, either. Ah. That's what I would say. Another issue, that even that should not be physical. If you play this game, I thought, and I'll say more about this later, I'm going to ignore this for a while, but I would say that should not be physical, but 
It is the case that if you speak, so you have this, suppose you have a motion in some, you have a measure, maybe you have a stationary measuring actual motion in the space. Now suppose you speed it up in certain places, slow it down in other places, so the motion is following the same paths, but proceeding at a different rate, different places. That's going to change the stationary measure. Now, to the extent that we think of the measure as somehow conveying physical information, and to the extent that the speed up and slow down isn't physical, you might wonder how can the measure be physical? So that's another issue which raises itself at this point. You might worry there as well. I throw this into the mix. And Wait, Charlie, just, I'm sorry. Explain how that works. If, if the measure, if I have a measure which is stationary on some dynamics, it means it means the measure I assign to any set of points um, doesn't change with time. So it's the same at all times. Why why would it why would it matter if, they're, about, if they're going through that sequence? But it's point? important here. Mm -hmm. what, what I actually I have in mind here. So things are not that I'm saying I have in mind that the speed up and slow down, down is never infinite, like it would be here. Here, the velocity becomes zero. Mm -hmm. I can rule that out. Although, strictly speaking, one shouldn't. But now, let, let's look at. We have a stationary measure. The following is the case. We have a little cell here. Right. And the stationary probability of that cell has to do with the amount of time we spend in that cell. Uh, connected to the dynamic stationarity, obviously. And in fact, it's connected in such a way that how much time you spend in there. Um, wait, let's, but wait, wait, wait. I, I mean, the, the, the definition we gave of, of stationarity just had to do with I, volumes of sets of points that are mapped into each other. And it was insensitive to the interval, to the size of the interval over which the mapping. We did, we did fix time mappings, though, and now. Yeah, but it, but, so but, but, but it doesn't depend on the time. It doesn't. No, 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 no. no. So you have lots of points here. Yeah. What was? And I under um, the original process here's where I end up at time t. Right. Now, if I do this kind of change. Yeah. I may be speeding up for some of these points, slowing down on others, so I have to end up leaving the same set of points. Wait, why are you speeding up? Suppose I only speeding up on this point. Oh, 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 oh. Okay, that's a different... Well, then, but that's a possibility. Here the speed no, up. No, 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 no. Okay. Slow down no, 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 that's fair enough. I, I didn't know we were in, okay. I didn't know no, that we were including that possibility. Okay, yeah, let's include okay. that process. That's sure, that should be physically Sure, 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 sure. And then, so then the measure does check. Sure. And this should work, might work. Sure, sure. So you have some new set of laws which which give you the same shapes traced down, yeah. but, but but at different rates. Right? Well, I'll be more explicit right. about that at the right. end, right. Right, if we get to it. But um, I, I, that is only at the end. I want to keep, I want okay. to keep the discussion on the level of the only change you have is this right. fixed time translation that right. day and stuff like that. Right. Nothing. So let me ask a question. I mean, I understand what you're saying. I don't quite understand why you want to treat this second case as also physically equivalent. And one way to put it is, you were happy to have Q, you were happy to have, sorry, G, the spatial geometry, the three geometry at a time, just be part of the configuration. Right? So it's kind of a, 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 a description 
of some physical fact about the nature of space. If you sort of think four-dimensionally, you'd say, why not the same thing about T? There's some time measure. It's part of the geometry. It's part of the four-dimensional geometry. And speeding up or slowing down relative to that would just be a physical, would require a change in the dynamics, would require a change in the physical laws. Because the physical laws relate how the matter moves around to this underlying time geometry. Now, you want to say, no, no, somehow, what, what, what looks to me like a change in the laws relative to the background time geometry, if it gives you the same shape, where same shape now means something different, same shape means there's a compression that will take into the same shape. You want to treat those as physically this is an oversimplified discussion, but it will be complicated. Okay. Okay. And, uh, okay. Because um, there hasn't been a lot of dynamical system analysis where you have the taking into account this shift equivalence kind of thing. Um, however, we are, if we're talking about cosmology, um, we should take relativity into account. I'm not going to. Therefore, I'm assuming that the notion of the configuration is a well-defined notion. It's only well-defined, however, if you have a, if you have some if you have a notion of what's going on at a given time, a single time. I'm assuming I'm taking that for granted here, simplifying assumption because I really don't know how I would. I don't think there's any fundamental problem, but I don't know exactly what I would say in the general case. In the general case, you've got a space-time. In the relativistic case, here's a space-time. And instead of a time parameter, you really have a situation where you have a many multi-finger time, where you have lots of different you have a foliation which determines time, and you have to take that into account. The discussion becomes much more complicated. So I'm going to take for granted the Barbarian framework. He, 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 you know, Barber, Barber, Julian Barber takes configurations as fundamental. And I'm going to be Newtonian in that respect and take configurations as fundamental so it's meaningful to talk about a configuration. And if here is configuration space, we have some path in that space. And all that's being said is the speed at which you go along the path doesn't matter. All that matters is the path. Time variable along the path is kind of arbitrary. That's a point of view. And Probably most physicists would agree with that. It'll end up maybe not seeming so arbitrary. Okay, so I've raised a lot of questions. Good. That's just background and motivation. Alright, so now, let me start again. We have configuration space of some sort. We have a measure on that space. It's infinite. That's what we have. And this is stationary under some bands. That's what we have. 
Um, why was that stationary? I should say why that was stationary. I mean, I didn't say that explicitly, I guess, but did I? We have rope side, I think it's side squared. The dynamics changes psi not at all. So the probability vector doesn't change either. But the equivariance in this case, which I should have said at the time, we had equivariance, which said under the flow, rope psi goes to rope psi t. But if this doesn't change with time, it's the same row, so the measure doesn't change. Psi squared doesn't change. But we have a stationary measure, and it's infinite. So forget about the quantum mechanics now. We've got a situation where we have a configuration space, some sort of motion on that space given by uh, some sort of arbitrary labeling of trajectories of the time parameter, and then with respect to that, we have a motion. We have a measure that's stationary. So I'm thinking in terms of the deterministic dynamics, that's all you should think about. But as a matter of fact, everything, if things also would work out, maybe just a little bit more complicated, even if I had a stochastic dynamics. Forget about that. It's okay if it's stochastic too. Things would be a little bit different. All right. Good. Now I have another space. Q hat. Let me let me say this is the orbit space, or the space of shapes. You better say the, shape, the space of, sh of shapes, where I regard it basically corresponds to equivalent classes of histories, where two histories are equivalent if one of the fits times translated the other, just like I described before. So that's two hat. And what I was arguing before is that this space is more physical, because it, the points here don't involve distinctions. The point, different points here may be equivalent, may be physically equivalent, then everybody is the same here, so this is more physical, this space. And so let's think of the following issue. We have a measure mu on configuration space, a bad thing. And what we would like, however, would be a measure mu hat on q hat. This is more physical, so a measure mu hat would be more physical. It's on a more physical space. So the issue is, how do we go from here to here? And the point, the point I want to make is simple, that there's a canonical way of going from one thing to the other, from the non-physical thing to the physical thing, to get exactly what you want. Let me explain. And Shelley, just to see where you're going, I mean, this, so, and, and the, the, the Q-hat measure is going to turn out to be more mathematically tractable. It's going to be, I can't say mathematically tractable, but conceptually appropriate. Uh -huh. I mean, but wait, but it, I mean, our, pro our problem with the original measure was one of... No, it's by mathematically tractable, you may not have a good right, problem. Right. There are other respects in which oh, okay. it may not be good. tractable. Yeah, 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 okay. In other words, this space... Good, nice. This space is a bit... Is, there's a sense in which this space is... is a sense in which you might think it's more abstract, even though it's more... But, abstract. but it looks smaller. It right? does, and it's brighter in some sense. Right, but right. sometimes the thing which is brighter... Right. right. It's a little bit more difficult mathematically. Like, for example, the, most of you don't know what I'm talking about here, but the example of the physical space is configurations for identical particles. Right. It's not our three n, but a more abstract space right. in some sense. Right. It's, it's not as familiar a space, but it's clearly more physical. Mm -hmm. All right. Now, so 
that's what I want to talk about. How you, how you do that? It's pretty simple, and there are two important ingredients in how this works. One is uh, stationary. Here. As I've already indicated, that's, an, that's what I've been talking about. It's important. And second of all, here's something we won't know, we won't know what I mean, I will explain. There's a crucial meaning as well. Existence of a cross-section. I have to explain but by the way, this existence of a cross-section is connected with um, special kinds of dynamical systems which are called dissipative systems. Uh, first, I want to consider the case of discrete time because it's simple. And the question is, it, it doesn't matter whether this, this time is continuous or discrete, you could still shift equivalences that I talked about it, translate by it. The only thing now would be that the translations are going to be by integer amounts, because time is discrete, one, two, three, and so on. This kind of more flexible thing that Tim described, that I described, is not terribly possible in discrete time, so that's out of the game. Discrete time. So here's an example of what I mean by cross-section. Not an example. Here's what I mean by cross-section. <laughs> it's a set that for some reason I call B. No. We're worried about S and you're making up B and you won't tell us what it means. <laughs> I can't remember. 50 what years from now, people are going to say, why did he call it B? Yeah, yeah, you got, you got me there. I, I can't remember what kind of, you have to ask B. B is usually for bad. Okay. <laughs> but it's not bad. I, I, and I called it B, uh, I'm going to stick with that. <laughs> so B is a set. And here are the kind of property. First of all, if I have B, I can, uh, BN, which is <coughs> BN, what's T? Time O, time map, time one, let's say time unit, time map T. Q at time zero goes at time one to T. The dynamics is given by T. A single map, that's discrete time. And of course, I can go two units of time by doing T twice. And of course, I can go to the NQ as well. And if I start with a set B and move each point in B n units of time, I get a new set, that's BN. The evolution of a set B for n units of time. And I do this for n equals Minus two, minus one, zero. Minus infinity to infinity in discrete in the integers from minus infinity to infinity. And I assume these are all disjoints. 
n intersect b n prime, empty set for n on the n prime. These are disjoint. They don't, they don't overlap at all. And the union is everything. And um, this one important thing I want about B finite. So it's a set, unlike the full space having infinite measure, this group of three has finite measure. And wait, is there any reason to make sure I write the thing? What? Any reason to think there is? Yeah, yeah, there is. It's called this is see where there is such a thing. You have something called a dissipative system. Now, what's the simplest example of such a thing? But I mean, this, this, the, the features you're writing down are not features we're used to in the system we're looking exactly at. Exactly right. Operator, right. current, and all of that. Absolutely right. right. okay. true. Okay. 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 Those systems are not dissipative in the subject plot. No. And these features, I'm going to come to that. But all right. Good. Let me see what the next remark is actually. Well, I'll skip a little bit to say. Here's a remark I make. The existence of a cross-section basically a dissipative system. So we're just... Hey, hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> Not gas in a box. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> But very possible in cosmology. Now, I have to explain that a little bit. Uh, but, what, but before doing, what is just the simplest example of such a stupid thing? Yeah, I think there's a canonical simplest example. Single particle on the integer line. No, don't even think about particle. But that's actually fine. Okay, let's say, take the integers. Take the Mueller's counting measure. T and equals n plus one. Yeah. That's kind of a simple non-trivial mm -hmm. transformation. It leaves counting measure, it leaves the measure alone. Mm -hmm. These things, what is B? Single point. Zero, take that to be B. Bn is N. Um, the union of all of them is the whole thing. Okay, so that's an example. Trivial example. It doesn't dissipate much in any obvious way. You know, why it's called dissipate is not 100% so clear to me that I. I don't suggest something like friction or I don't have, and but this is a terminology ergodic theorists use for these things. I, okay. I don't really know why it's so much why it's called dissipative. It is true, however. Yes, give it when I say a little bit more about it, you might see a little bit that's why it's dissipative is not a terrible word. Okay, good. So that's one example. Really simple example. A dissipative system. Alright. Now, suppose we have a so we have a close line cross section. Wait, so what? What's the? I, I still didn't. The cross section is defined as as B or as it's a set. Yeah, a set has this problem. A cross section has this problem. B 
together with a dynamic subject that has finite measure. Right. Okay. And it's so a cross section. A cross section is a set. Is as it were a, a combination of what you would normally call an initial condition and a dynamics such that together they have this property. Is that it could right? all be an initial condition. However, remember, B is a set. It was only a simple. Yeah, yeah, I understand. Yes, yes, yes. Now, you guys know, of course, does everybody appreciate what they were talking about, why I said, why they said, really, uh, why you couldn't have this for gas in a box? Or more generally, you could never have this. What I wrote, mu B equals infinite. No, not mu of B. Full measures infinity. There are many situations where you have the normal situation, familiar situation, the good situation. You're not happy about the infinity here. You like it to be finite. In the situation where this is finite, this is impossible. Because when I say quantum recurrence, but this picture may be almost the proof of quantum recurrence. Each of these sets, it's, it's just uh, related by this time translation in the measure of stationary, they have the same finite measure. But that means right. the measure of their union right. has to be infinite. Right. Unless each of them has measure zero, uh -huh. which would let me the measure of the union is zero, which is no good at all. Can you just explain that again in more uh, layman friendly English? Yeah, so let's suppose we have the measure of each of these sets that's finite. Let's call it epsilon, not zero. Because if it were zero, it would, it would turn out everything. The whole thing has to measure zero. We don't want that. Not at all interesting. So then what is... This is a, this say epsilon is a measure of, of every one of these sets. The reason is these sets are connected by time translation. Stationality means that the measure of a set is the same as a measure of its time translation. So if a set gets moved over under the evolution to another set, these two things have the same measure. So all of these things, since they are, do come from one from the other by the, the motion. And this measure is stationary. These all have the same measure. Now, that means the measure of the whole space, which is the union, Of all these, because I assume that these add up to the whole space. Or even if I don't assume that, I don't even need this assumption. The measure of this union, which is in the space, it, these are disjoint sets. So part of what's meant by a measure is that it's additive and even counterly additive. So we have a unit, disjoint union of sets, the measure of the union is the sum of the measures of the individual things. This is equal to infinity times epsilon, which is infinity. Each of them has, you're summing an infinite number of things, all of them, all of the same size epsilon, which is bigger than zero, so it's infinite. So anyway, the measure has to be infinite for this whole thing to get off the ground. So one could ask, and I don't have an answer to this at all, suppose you insist that this kind of analysis is essential, well, what do you do with the cosmology, what do you do with the measure of work infinite? What if, the, what if the cosmological situation were not dissipative? Well, I, I don't know what to say there. Maybe there's some complicated story which everything comes out okay there too. But, I, I, but again, in cosmology, this is natural that you have um, both the measure being infinite and having a set, and I'll give you examples. All right, let me see what else I need to say. 
Why is the disjointness natural in the cosmological case? That, that, well, no, no, the kind that you should be able to do it in such a way that you get, if you just pick B at random, that we yeah. don't have it. But, you right. can, it, it. but in the cosmological case, it is, it should, it's natural that it should be possible to it do it. It seems like in any case, you, it's natural, you know, I take a single free particle. The, the disjointed yeah, well, condition will be satisfied, right? You mean on the Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but if I was in a box, no. Right. Oh, I see. No, I but, see. but, but that, I mean, it actually seems very unnatural to expect a disjoint. It, it's saying that there's no possible way for no to, setup to, to, right. to undergo. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No recurrent. It can't recur. It can't be a cyclical evolution. Right, right. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, the, so you, you might just extract the sick. You might start with a normal system. I mean, you think in many cases you'd expect there'll be some points, maybe a set of measure zero that'll recur. Mm -hmm. Maybe. Sure, that's not 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 so, once we have a cross-section, let me say, let me call mu v, this measure restricted to v, it's a finite measure, by assumption. And um, we can normalize it, so let mu v be normalized version, restrict it and then normalize it. And then we say, I have something that simply states that that's our measure, that basically defines our measure of hat that we were looking for. Um, let me see, do I want to give you a picture? Um, I mean, if here's B, which is the same as B0, then I have B1, and so on, the motion that takes us like that, and each history can be, is labeled by a point in G. Like if I translate the history, still, every history, however it's translated, there'll be one point in that history which is in this set B, because every, these things exhaust the whole space, so any history whatsoever is going to be in B in some, in this set B at some time. So I can use the points in B to label the history. I can get weights to the histories by having a probability measure mm -hmm. on B on the cross-section. Is that new hat? Good. And here's a statement. If there's a cross-section, obviously there's more than one. Well, not, maybe not say obviously. It isn't unique. There are many cross-sections. And so one could worry that the measure we have to get depends on the choice of cross-section. Here's a statement. But show it just, just to make sure I'm following. Um, I'm kind of partitioning the trajectories, possible trajectories, and to get B, I just pick any point out of each trajectory. Can you say there are lots of Bs? No, that's absolutely right. Okay, all right. No, that's that's absolutely absolutely right. Okay, good, okay. Yeah, that's perfectly right. Um, here's a statement. Mu hat on Q hat shape space 
is independent of the cross-section B. So the choice of cross-section, this corresponds exactly to mu being stationary. Stationary in the original thing amounts to the fact that you get something unambiguous, not dependent on the cross-section. I mean, let's talk about the most extreme case of a different cross-section. Take B1 instead of B. It should be reasonably clear that's a cross-section too. And, um, and if I were to use that, then I said if I would have used mu B1, and you ask, well, how does that compare with the other choice on his measure on history? Well, I'd have to say, well, what points, what measure on B1, U B1, or I'd have to take that measure and see what that, what that implies, go back to the time evolution to see what the measure is on B. Stationarity means I get back the same measure on B. So what I get is unambiguous. And that's actually, it doesn't matter. That's just a simple, in, in general, it is the case. This is a true statement. Independent so whereas on the space Q hat, the more physical space of shapes, time, it, 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 there's no time evolution acting at all. Because the time evolution has been taken out of the whole thing in this space. And stationarity is not something you could even talk about there. But it's, of the, having this thing unambiguous, one of the more physical things, corresponds to the stationarity on the, on the, in the less physical domain. All right. So that um, the stationarity is in a sense just a tool for extracting in a convenient way the physical measure. All right. Good. Now I'll come to the continuous time case. You should think of B in this case as a, roughly speaking, a submanifold of co-dimension one. That is, a, one less dimension than that of the full space. That's a bit vague because the dimension's probably infinite. And, you know, all kinds of things could be bad. But think of it that way. So you have a picture like this. Here's, here's the configuration space, and B is some set like that. Yeah. Space were two dimensional, B would be one dimensional. B were five dimensional, if this space were five dimensional, B would be four dimensional. And then we have a time evolution TT, the time T map. We define BT as before, TTZ. We assume these are disjoint. And we assume the union of all of these things is the full configuration space. So that's the continuous analog of what I, did, what I said before, what I call the cross-section before. That's what I mean by cross-section. I have to also talk about the measure of B, though. Remember, I had one of the conditions for the cross-section that it had finite measure. Uh, and, of course, I have, that's going to be tricky here because this should have measure zero. 
because it's a thin set. So it's not really what I that is not the wouldn't want to put a condition like that on because it's true it's gonna have measure zero. Rather um, the extra condition on B is something like this. You look at um PT, the union of all so T between zero and one. That's a fat set now. Here's some different looking at some fatter set bunch of well I said if this was B zero it'd be like that. This is B zero, which is B. Here's B one half somewhere in the middle of that. So uh, I'm going to demand that this that's five right. dimensions. And then I'm going to try that mu B. I can just think of mu B as a conditional distribution, conditional probability distribution on B. Now conditional probabilities on a set of measure zero are problematical, but that's really, it's not an issue here because we have more than a set of measure zero. We have this whole foliation, this partition of the space into this family BT, destroyed sets, this union is a whole thing. That's enough. That should be enough to define conditional probabilities in an unambiguous way. Near being well defined. Um, and that defines now our new hat. Every point, every trajectory, every history goes through B. So the points on B label the different histories, even the equivalence classes of histories. And I end up with this measure. And as before, it's on a, it doesn't depend on the choice of cross-section. Precisely in case we were stationary, just like in the, in the, in the discrete time case. Um, I assume that's true. Uh, let me see. There's more I need to say. Yeah. Maybe it would be good to give a picture now.
Yeah. Can you guarantee that the measure of D is not infinite? No, I can't guarantee it, but I, uh, in general, that was part of the, uh, but I, I worked on part of one of the race, but I had the commission, you know, uh, <coughs> but that's finite. That takes care of it. Now it can't be infinite. Okay. I mean, this suggests that maybe one should have, one could have somehow rather reduced the discrete time, the continuous time case, to the discrete time case by looking at the time one map for this, what would be called the flow of the continuous time, and then this would be the cross section. Probably it's easier intuitively and you know, just to think in terms, directly in terms of the continuous time analog of what I said before, in which case you get this very nice coordinate system. And the motion, and these coordinates are only trivial units motion to the right. But whenever you have a dissipative system in the sense that I've defined it, it looks like this. Which, which of course tells you that since you might think that all of these new systems are therefore more, in some sense, almost equivalent, because they all look like that, and that's you know, maybe a lot of truth to that, that sort of tells you that it's actually important if you're in physical application to actually understand what the configurations are, configurations of what they describe. Because what's going on in different versions, we have the same picture, could be entirely different. But, but, but from the point of view of abstract mathematics, it's just spaces which you draw that way. No, no fundamental mathematical difference, but physically what's going on can be very different in different cases. Um, now. Um, can I ask you something? Yeah. The union of all these, the space or the system Q, is that an open system or a closed system? I'm not sure whether that's a meaningful question, but. I'm thinking the application is to the system itself. We should think of the application to every system we're talking about now. I think so far has been a closed system. We've got a dynamics on this system. We're not looking at the subdynamics on some part of the system or anything like that. And so we've got the universe. Think of the universe. It's got a configuration. This is its configuration space. This is some sub. This is a set of configurations, and um, definitely closed. Let me. Maybe I should uh, give you some simple examples. We already talked about an example, but now. Let me talk, let me mention two, two kinds of examples. I mean, right, if you already see that things are a lot better than we thought. We had this bad thing which was infinite, infinite measure, but actually when we look more carefully at it, it was not a physical thing to begin with. Uh, and the physical thing, more physical thing has a much better measure on it. So things look like they're getting better. Let me put some examples. Some really simple examples. Two motion, as Tim says, one particle on the line, one dimension. 
And the first example I'll take is my configuration space to be the usual, more or less. Phase space, so QV, instead of all QVs, with V I'm equal to zero, I don't know about zero velocities for it. I just don't want to allow them. It's probably clear for some Well, it won't get us to this it, it, well, it won't get it. I think that's going to work too well. <laughs> <laughs> no, the V is not zero. So what, it's, what space is this? Q, that's a copy of the line. The copy of Q is a copy of V. Is another copy except that taken out zero. So that's the space. Basically, the play that um, V equals zero is taken out. Good. What's Q hat? Well, go to the histories. The histories just labeled by the velocities. So that the, the only, I mean, where you stop doesn't matter because you're going to you're going to go through all positions mm -hmm. you go through time. The different shapes are just the different velocities. The different equivalence, the equivalence class corresponds to a velocity. So this is kind of all V, V I'm not going to keep writing that down. Be not zero. Wait, Shelly, I'm confused. Different speeds look like they correspond to the same shape. That, that's relevant whether you allow, merely when you talk about equivalence classes, what the equivalences are. Do you, do you say two things are equivalent when you have a constant time translated one to the right, other? Right. Or do you, that won't change the speed. Right, right, right. I see. I see. Oh, okay. I see. That'll be my next example. I see. Okay, good. So Q hat in this case is just r equals zero for velocity space. Right. Smaller space, naturally enough. And the cross-section would then be, well, just a set of all configurations. Um, all phase points where the position is the origin. So, F B in the QB space. Nothing there. And VT, well, you know what free motion is like, so depending on the speed, you move it about proportional to the speed, so this is VT. And the slope here, this line, is 1 over T. It's moving fast. The line has a smaller slope, and that's the partition to these lines. They only intersect at here, right, at a point which was taken out. So that's one example um, of a cross-section. Now, I'm going to... Well, I'm going to mention another example, but first, I guess I need this some more notation. So we have this space Q, and now we have the more physical space Q hat. And now we have, again, as a matter of fact, the more physical space still Q double hat. This means now I'm allowing, I'm saying two histories are equivalent if I can get one from the other by speeding up or slowing down. So it's arbitrary time and parameterizations are okay. Uh -huh. So it's taking account parameterization in there. 
And the framework we've been talking about so far, these spaces are basically the same. Both of these correspond to the, the, the path right. configuration space. Right. If there, if there were, if you did this the right way and then you had some stochasticity involved in your, in your dynamics, then these spaces could be different. In any case, we start out with a measure here, measure here, we got a more physical measure we had here, and that would define a, more, a measure on this space, whether they're the same or different, you're going to get the more, most physical measure you double hat on this space, Q double hat. Um, what is, what should, um, let's see. Suppose, in this example, as I said, Q double hat, Q hat, no difference in the example. Why was that? Because um, but your re if you reparameter is time, you can take one. No, 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 but, no, but it, still there's V in it, you see. So if, if I do literally what I said I was doing, the V doesn't go away. Your thing so is V is QDT. No, 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 V is, the Q is, Q is really QV. Your thing is the next example. Absolutely right. It's a bit confusing. But I was just really to take this is a bad terminology. There's a V here, but I'm thinking of V as part of the configuration. I see. Okay. Now the next example I don't want to think of it that way. Take Q to be just the positions of set of all positions. I actually, I, I called it in my notes, and that was better. I called that X, because that's better. This whole thing is supposed to be the Q in this example. But actually, I was, had it better here. Shouldn't have called it Q. Uh, and now, suppose I have on this, what's the dynamic that Q equals R? Dynamics corresponding to free motion, but now, since I didn't include, I did not include the velocities in the, in the space in which the dynamics acts. So I'm going to say it this way. There's a random motion. There's only very limited randomness. I randomly pick a velocity and then let the thing move with that velocity. And that way I get a bunch of histories. Mm -hmm. And the Q hat in the space, what is Q hat? That is just a set of velocities. Um, it's just a set of velocities. Um, so it's R unequal to zero instead of V unequal to zero. But Q double hat in this case, what is Q double hat in this case? Now I allow speed up, arbitrary speed up and slow down. I don't regard those things as leading to any differences. What do I get for Q double hat? Two points. Or two, right. Plus and minus, I can call it. Direction. All right. Now, those are some simple examples. Now, I should mention, maybe it's a good time to mention, not say it now, because the question arose, and I'm afraid I won't get to it if I just continue straight, and I do want to get to this statement. The question arose, um, well, what about why? What's so special about cosmology? Why should they? Why should you have dissipated things in cosmology? Well, often what happens in cosmology is there's an important variable. 
which is not so easy to define, but it's something like the radius of the geometry of the universe. The scale, the scale factor it sometimes calls, even if the universe were infinite, there's this thing all. And I, don't, I actually don't know how it's defined, but it's an important quantity in cosmology. And it changes with time. It's thought of as changing with time. And it might, some, in some sense, with respect to some sort of parameterization, it might be increasing from very small to very big, expanding universe. We're used to thinking of an expanding universe in cosmology. You would think if you got an expanding universe, you could use R itself to define a cross-section. You wouldn't have anything any more behaving like this if you had Poincaré twins after all. So in cosmology, the kind of things, the natural expectations you have about how geometry is behaving are in conflict with Poincaré returns, but perfectly compatible with dissipativity. So it isn't unreasonable that we're in that kind of framework in cosmology, dissipative framework. Good. Now, let me see. I was going to give you an idea. What should I do? There are several more things I want to mention. One has to do with a simple quantum mechanical example, which I worry about giving a little bit because people don't know so much about quantum mechanics. Although, it's actually illuminating, but I'm worried about giving it. Maybe I'll skip that and now start focusing on time and talk about something called the clock variable. Sometimes you might call it you might call it a time variable. What is that? It's a function so I'll call theta. It's a function on the phase space, it's a function of the configuration. I'm speaking, I'm speaking of a situation where I have it dynamic. Mm -hmm. However, on physical, right. it be that right. it's relative to having a dynamic. Right. You've got this dynamics, what the clock variable? It's a variable, it's a function, and it has the following property. It evolves times t units of time. Constant or motion, we say, doesn't change. That says constant motion. Clock variable says you evolve t units of time. This increases by t. That's a clock variable. There could be such variables. But then in, in, in ones that speed up and slow down, there won't be any clock variables? Yeah, I'll get to that. Okay. But right now, no, we haven't talked about that. Okay. We may well catch those. So, Anyway, so the clock is, it's nice to have such a thing, a time variable clock variable. That's, that's a natural definition for such a thing. Um, you don't have, you could, as you were, you probably, some of you might be thinking you're not going to have such a thing in the usual statistical mechanical situation where you have Poincaré recurrence. But you might have the feeling you should have such a thing for dissipative systems, which is where it says a clock cross section. And in fact, it's not hard at all to see that having a clock variable is more or less the same as having a defined correspondence to a cross-section. I mean, how, what's the correspondence? I mean, D equals the set 
where the clock variable is zero. Then the time evolution takes that set to the set where the clock variable is t, t units of time, it fills out the whole space. Existence of a clock section is just another way of talking about existence of a clock variable. And in the simple coordinate system I talked about before, where q in v and t, that coordinate system, theta, the clock variable was t in that, in that coordinate system. But wait, but so I, but I'm a little confused. We were able to define cross sections even in cases where, um, um, where, where we were changing the scale of, of time intervals. Well, here we no, need, no, no, here we need a scale. How, how is T no, going no, here? I defined the cross section was I used TT, uh, given time evolution, in terms of um, that was built into the definition oh, okay. of the cross section. Okay. Okay. Um, that just was. I mean, the way things were set up. And we do we do want to get rid of that. Right. So. That's no, but wait, maybe it, maybe it, weren't we getting rid of that explicitly when we were doing the double hat stuff? Yeah, we do, and this is not respected. The, the yeah. double hat, so okay. I'll talk about that okay. a little bit separately. Okay, right. okay, good, 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 good. Absolutely, good. Let me see. Did I write that right? Yeah, that's right. So plus t, good, good. But clock variables don't have to do with clocks. Not maybe time variables better. I don't know. It doesn't have to do with class, so it's maybe not such a good name. Okay. But by the way, I mean what I call R before that might have looked a little bit like a clock variable. It may not be doing right. this exactly. Right. Right. You can right. think about maybe the radius of the universe is playing more or less that kind of role. Now, more or less, the last thing I want to talk about is the notion of a good. But I have to say, what do I really mean here? Look, I mean, I'm very much in the clock variable itself. If you have to use a clock variable, if there's a cross section. And that, but that whole notion, the whole business depends on the parameterization. On the, on the dynamics PT. Right. If I reparameterize stuff, I get a different dynamics and clock variable to be different. Right. So, it, how time is proceeding along any trajectory in any history is determined by the parameterization of NT, right. which defines TT. So the question of a good clock variable is not very different from the question of what's a good parameterization. parameterizing distance along a trajectory, a history, or a trajectory path in the configuration space. How do I label it with a time variable? And that's another way. Same, the same question, what's a good? Okay. I mean, we all have the sense that I want, I made the case so different TTs, now I'm talking about expanding, slowing down, speeding up, just the kind of right. thing Tim mentioned. Gives you a different TT and everything. Uh, which ones are good? And we always have a sense that it's a right one somehow. How can there be a right one if it's totally non-physical, there's these changes. 
Well, that's where I want to talk a little bit about next. But, but you've decoupled, I mean, say the same, you've decoupled this from actual, I mean, actual clocks won't do this. Right? In, in, in other words, suppose I had a physical clock that I thought was a good clock. They, they certainly can't. Physical and clock doesn't correspond to a reason. Right, they don't give me clock variables because, you know, gee, if I take this perfectly good clock and, and, and wait too long, it'll break and it'll thermalize and guide. Absolutely. Well, you know, reading the numbers off as and so on. So, you know, one might think that what you mean by a good clock variable is going to have some connection to do with actual clocks and the things we call actual time in the well, laboratory. Well, you don't want to make the that... Physicists, the thing that physicists it should have, it should never have some connection. But you don't want to demand the connection between, between be too strong, otherwise you will not have anything nice to define. Right. You, you want to be somehow flexible right. here. <laughs> but you're absolutely right. And that's what I want to know. What, makes, what is it that makes a, a clock variable good? We know. We count time all the time. We have a good sense of what's a good variable, what's not. So we, we have the sense that this thing exists. But the question is, one question is what makes it good? And I don't have a lot to say about that. I mean, a lot, of course, could be written, and presumably a lot has been written. Um, only one, one word to write down that leads to harmony. That's not... I need to say more, obviously, but there's a question. Would a natural clock, like the vibration of a certain atom, would that be a good clock for it? That would be connected. Might, it might be certainly connected. Here's one thing I would say. Suppose you might demand that a good clock variable have the following property. That with respect to that variable, when time increases, whenever time increases by the same amount, be it earlier or later, the same number of things should proceed in more or less the same way. So that if there is some periodic motion, the same number of cycles would occur. Now, that has to be taken with a grain of salt, and all of the considerations, I wish I, wish I, wish I don't have a system systematic list, I, I have in mind my harmony. Okay, if you don't have enough harmony, it's not going to be a very useful variable. <laughs> can I rephrase the question? Is it, is it necessary, therefore, that there exists something in the physical universe, some process that you can identify, even if we don't know what it is, that in principle can be identified as a good clock variable? That existence is necessary. I would kind of be inclined to say no, yeah. but I would say maybe in some approximate sense something like that should exist. But I think... Uh, what, is it, you, but I don't know how to understand this. If you, ah, well, okay, if you've eliminated velocity zero, for example, I, I, mean, I mean, you have a universe that consists of a single particle just sitting there. There's obviously no clock variable. No, 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 but for our universe... Right, right, right. In any case, it's a notion which... To, we seem to have the feeling that we have in our world something right. which are pretty good clock. As I said, this is work in progress, and probably there's literature on this. Uh, let's just take it, let's let it leave it there because I really can't make it. Mm -hmm. I mean, we could all talk about it for a while and come up with a list of criteria. We could argue about it too. Perhaps there's no unique list, but it's certainly something to think about. But there, here's one thing I did want to say, and this is, um, involves, let's suppose we have some evolution. Shelley, by the way, in yes. a couple of minutes we're going to be busted in on by the next class. Okay, so I don't have much to say anyway. <laughs> <laughs>
There's an evolution. Simple evolution from the configuration given by differential equation. Now, this corresponds to a PC. Now, if I do one of these changes we talked about, speeding up and slowing down, well, if we speed up or slow down, depending on the configuration of Q, that corresponds to multiplying by 5Q there. So if 5Q is big, things are speeded up. If 5Q is small, then things go more slowly. And this defined with this phi, I get T prime. Different evolution, corresponding to different clock variable. What determines? Now, let me read that. Suppose originally with T, I had an invariant measure mu. What's the invariant measure T prime? Oh, I said before what it was. No, I didn't say what it was. T prime will be mu over Five. You over what? The speed up factor. Oh. If you speed up, you spend less time. Right. So five is big. The weight should go down. This is. You know how to see this most simply. The rotation plus the divergence of rho v equals zero is the condition for stationary. For right. stationary, for, it's the evolution right. equation for a density row. Right. Stationary means it doesn't depend on time. Right. The condition for a stationary measure is the divergence. Now, if I take V and multiply by phi and divide by phi, then nothing changes. Right. Now, and this is this reflects back on, so I have T, I have TT, TT prime, different measures. Obviously, neither of these things are physical, neither this or this. Or this, it's not fact of the matter of which is the right thing. Right. It's not a fact of the matter of which is the right measure. Right. The point is they all do the same you have and you double have. Right. The physical thing is not ambiguous despite these good. 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 Um, and the last thing was in connection with quantum mechanics, volume mechanics, with this deep side constraint. Side, what's going to determine the good motion is going to be a motion of a simple form with the harmony corresponds to the laws being of a nice nature that we're familiar with being satisfied. That corresponds to the motion corresponding to phi without some multiplication. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. So in some sense, time emerges from the wave function uh -huh. in exactly the sense I just said here, which you can't take it literally, but right. good. Let's stop. Thank you, sir. <laughs> um, good. I guess we're, I, I, well, I guess we're technically <laughs> supposed to end at 10 of. Okay. But, but, but I, probably the next question, if there are questions, we can, we can have five minutes of everyone's day. Um, good. Thank you, Shelley. So the last thing was time emerges from the wave function. Yes, that's, that's, that's kind of, you can take that kind of mystical sounding statement as a summary of what I arrived at at the end. But I, it has a more precise meaning in terms of the... Well, you started this off, I, I, I got, so something got lost in the woods. Yeah. You started this off with a very clear word. Our picture of the universe, the evolution of the universe depends critically on the idea that entropy has been increasing. There's this entropy gradient. Right? You said, well, the natural thing to do in quantum mechanics is to find the entropy as a function of psi. 
But when we go to the cosmological scale, it looks like psi doesn't change. And therefore, if I do that, any such entropy that I define won't change. And now, at the end, we get the phrase, time has just emerged from the wave function. Now, these, you know, I'm not going to get that. I can't put those two together. But you're actually, when you didn't formulate it as a real question, but you, you say, well, the real question is, and this, how, did I, how do I get back to the problem I originally raised? Yes, right. And that was actually, that was the page I skipped. <laughs> <laughs> so let me tell you what goes on there. Um, here's the picture. Suppose you have a clock variable phase. Time variable. In, in Bohemian mechanics, there's a notion of a conditional wave function. You have a wave function of the universe, but then you might plug in, as, as, as for, for some of the variables in the universe, some other variables, like theta itself. That's, that would be a, you could, you, that's something you could do, stick in some variables and look at the, remain, the function you have left once you stick in those variables. Stick in the time variable, get, look at the conditional wave, conditional wave function given relative to the time variable. Then this thing now plays, this plays the role of psi t, the usual psi t, the thing which the entropy should be a function of, and stationarity of psi squared for the whole universe corresponds to the crucial mathematical property that psi squared had for, that psi squared had for the finally equilibrium analysis, analysis, namely the equivariance of the canal of psi theta, which is psi t. So you end up once so things get resolved by recognizing that from the wave function of the universe which was stationary, you get, so to speak, time-dependent conditional wave function, not time-dependent because it's a conditional wave function given this time. This now satisfies the familiar, now this now becomes equivariant, that corresponds to the stationarity of the original wave function. That's how it all fits together. But how do you arrive at theta in this thing? That's time? crucial, of course, but, um, but it, that's, that's, how it, that's how it would all fit together. That's how it would fit together. I just said work in front. <laughs> that's a picture. So it fits together nicely. Good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, it's done. We have to go. So thanks, Joe. <laughs>